Thursday night, so Helen's Art and uh, Last Supper. Friday, next Friday, Good Friday, there is the ecumenical service uh, at the Catholic Church. There is the service here for our kids, uh, children's ministry kids, uh, where they reenact uh, the crucifixion of Christ. It's learning by doing. And then uh, Friday night, uh, we're going to have a service here, a Good Friday service. Uh, that all leads up, as Bernadette said, and the only part you really remembered is that next week, same place, same time, different occasion, it will be Easter, and we're looking forward to having a great big party, and uh, that will be the exciting uh, lead up to Easter. So hopefully uh, you will make time in this uh, busy, important Holy Week uh, to really get ready for Easter. I mean, that's, that's all these service are, services are all about. Uh, great, so good to have you. I have a uh, Lent uh, message for us today, Palm Sunday message, but uh, I wanted to uh, sort of think about what are the things that take you out of your comfort zone. Uh, I don't know if you uh, feel like at this particular time in life you're in a comfort area or if you've been taken out of your comfort zone. But, you know, typically when kids go from uh, middle school to high school, they get taken out of their comfort zone. Uh, typically when kids graduate from high school, you feel like you're taken out of your comfort zone. Uh, then you finish college and you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm taken out of my comfort zone once again. Uh, you know, sometimes you're trying to find your first job and, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is taken out of your comfort zone. Uh, for many people, I feel they get stuck in their current job just because they don't want to be taken out of their comfort zone. It's like, it's awful here, but I just like, at least I know what it is. I don't want to be taken out of my comfort zone. Uh, but we are constantly uh, being challenged uh, by the Lord uh, to be taken out of our, our comfort zone. Uh, and, you know, for many of us, we grow the most when we're taken out of our comfort zone. Uh, I've seen this uh, as many folks have gone on missions trips, and for those of you that are about to go, planning on going in the Dominican Republic, uh, uh, upcoming trip soon, you know, there's a sense of, I'm a little nervous about it, especially if it's your first trip. You don't know uh, the culture, the language, the food, you know, safety, I mean, all the different things that take you out of your comfort zone. And so uh, that's probably where, you know, our learning experience is really at its highest. Uh, and one way or another, we learn the most when there's a sense of urgency and there's a sense of, like, we really need to know this, uh, like, quickly to be able to cope. Uh, and often, uh, when we immerse ourselves in something that's out of our comfort zone is when we learn. I know we're going to be taking... Uh, I'm taking the two youth from our church uh, in two weeks' time to Spain, and that, again, will be out of their comfort zone, and we're focusing on doing missions in, in Spain, and, you know, everything's different. Uh, the food's different, the, when you eat is different, uh, praying for people is, uh, is different, uh, doing church in Spain is different, and so, you know, how do we deal with all this? Well, we will, and uh, it's a great opportunity, and I'm super excited to be actually taking our youth, and I'm super appreciative that you folks have uh, been such an unbelievably gracious church 
in you know, providing for the kids, uh, the youth to go, and making this a reality. But I do say this, when we're taken out of our comfort zone, it's when we are forced to lean into the Lord and to be very dependent on Him and to say, Lord, what is it that you're saying? Uh, how can I hear your voice? Uh, you know, your, your sense of needing to hear or your dependency on God is greatly increased. And so in some ways, it's good to be taken out of our comfort zone because we're more dependent on God, which is exactly what God wants us to do. Be more dependent on Him, less dependent on ourselves. Uh, but I do ask, uh, you know, as we, uh, as we take folks on missions trips, that not, it's not only asking for money to help us make this a reality. Uh, a huge part is that you'd pray, and you'd pray for us, and that we would indeed be able to be in tune with what it is that the Lord uh, would have us be doing. Uh, this is a build-up to say this. Uh, Jesus, it seemed like, he took his disciples on a very intentional uh, journey leading up to the cross. And uh, he took them out of their comfort zone. Uh, he would take them to places which were like a missions trip. They were foreign, foreign culture, foreign people. Uh, the disciples were constantly uh, feeling like uncomfortable. Uh, out of their comfort zone, and Jesus was constantly doing things uh, and demonstrating things and saying things uh, that just took them out of their comfort zone. But at the same time, the disciples were rapidly learning. Now, today I've titled this, uh, this message, Four Urgent Life Decisions Jesus Wants You to Make. And I want to look at uh, Luke uh, chapter 19, because as Christ is moving towards the cross, it seems to me like he's taking his disciples and he's got like four things in chapter 19 that he's urgently wanting to impart to the disciples and he wants them to get it. And he does it by taking them out of their comfort zone and uh, immersing them in different situations and they are learning rapidly. And so uh, that's what I want to look at today. Now, for you, uh, what I'm asking you to get out of this message is, in a similar way to what Christ is saying to his disciples, there's an ongoing, continuous uh, challenge or urgent message that I believe that the Lord is asking you and I to likewise learn or to check in with them. It's like, how are we doing with this? Uh, the Lord was telling the disciples, and he's likewise uh, telling us as well, like, how are we doing? How are we doing with this? So um, let me just uh, open up with prayer because unless the Spirit of God moves in our hearts, you know, I don't think we get a whole lot out of it. But when the Spirit of God moves in our hearts, we get a lot out of it. So Holy Spirit, I just welcome your presence. I ask you to stir our hearts. Uh, impart in us, Lord, the urgency of what it is that uh, you want us to grasp and the lifestyle and the way of living that you want to bless us with, the joy and the freedom that you have in store for us as we uh, follow you and are taken out of our comfort zone and think about things and do things the way you want us to do them. So, Lord, I just pray for your, your presence. Lord, stir our hearts. Lord, draw people that know you and those that don't know you to you and give them the gift of life and of peace in you, Jesus. Amen.
Amen. So to set this up, uh, I got a, if you make your way, if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to just open it to uh, Luke chapter 19. And if you're following along on your phone, uh, if you don't have a, a Bible app on your phone, the U version is pretty helpful uh, and uh, good, easy to carry along. I mean, not people don't really want to carry books anymore, but I particularly like the my you know printed version of the Bible. Uh, Some other I find my way across the pages easier. I memorize it easier than uh, electronic version. But if you've got electronic version, that's obviously the way of the future. And and uh, hang on to that and follow along as we do this. But uh, I, I want to look at these four uh, scripture verses. Uh, they're all relating to walking, hence the theme of this uh, series that we've been doing, uh, Jesus' long walk to the cross. And uh, I wanted to uh, point out to you these four different lessons that uh, Christ has for us as he's walking in these different locations. The first one is Luke 19.1. Jesus entered Jericho. Now, obviously, Jericho, uh, foreign town, foreign people, uh, and he's got a first urgent lesson for the disciples and for you and I in Jericho. Then in, in Luke chapter 19:11, it says, because he was nearing Jerusalem, and so you see they're walking, they've come through Jericho, now they're nearing Jerusalem, and from Christ's standpoint, uh, internally, uh, there's a sense of urgency. Something's picking up. He knows he's going towards the cross. He knows what's about to happen. And there's a sense of, I need to communicate with my disciples as I'm walking. And then in uh, 19, uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 28, which is the Palm Sunday uh, message, it says, then as they came to Bethpage and Bethany, and then you got what? Christ wants to do in that particular location, in those particular towns, at that particular place. And then finally, it says in uh, the end of, um, of Luke, uh, as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city, and now, you know, Jerusalem's right here, it's really close, and it elicits an emotional, emotional response in Christ. And so, uh, at each one of these locations and places, uh, Jesus has a message for us. Now, because I'm covering a lot of Scripture, I obviously uh, cannot go into a lot of depth. Uh, so uh, I'm going to be going pretty fast. The first section, as they're going to Jericho, uh, Jesus has an encounter with Zacchaeus. And uh, this is the short story. Uh, it, uh, it says in verse 2, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. And then it says in verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, you know, it's a very interesting uh, encounter because Zacchaeus is not well liked. He is a tax collector, and uh, Jesus, somehow other prophetically, because he's God, he, he kind of knows his name, and he calls him by name. But more importantly, he knows his heart, uh, which you and I battle to figure out in people, like, you know, what makes somebody good or not good or where they're at. But Jesus can see his heart. He knows his name. He calls him by name. And it says in verse, uh, verse 7, But the people were displeased. 
he has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meantime, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if, they have and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And then finally the Lord says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. The application here is this. The Lord wanted to teach an urgent lesson to the disciples and to you and I that He is really interested in people's hearts. He's not really interested in if you are short, like Zacchaeus. He's not really interested if, in the fact that you might be in a profession that is not like that great, like as a tax collector. Uh, he's not really interested in the fact that you might be a bad person. He's not really interested in the fact that you might be tall or short or black or white or foreign or local. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in you as a person. And Jesus is inviting us and inviting his disciples to not look at the exterior of people, but to somehow or other figure out where are people's hearts. Are they hearts where they are open to the things of the Lord? Is there, or do they have a heart that God is able to work in and through? And what God is saying, he says, I can change anybody if they'll open their hearts and allow my Holy Spirit to reside within them and he's also saying to the disciples and to you and I, when God is working with somebody, in somebody, our job as followers of Christ is to also encourage, work, and support the person that Jesus is working with and in. Uh, so, you know, Christ is making this, this point to these disciples, which is, you can't go with what the crowds are saying. You can't do whatever, what everybody else thinks is, is, you know, right or wrong, and you can't be influenced by other people as to who you should or shouldn't hang out with. Uh, Zacchaeus was not the type of person anybody would have wanted to hang out with. He wasn't a good person. He was a cheat. But on the other hand, something dramatic had happened in Zacchaeus's heart. He was willing to repent. He was willing to change. He was willing to become a whole different person. And Jesus was like zoning in on that. And it wasn't sort of like a fake thing. I mean, Zacchaeus was genuine. He's like, listen, I'll just like, you know, everybody I've cheated, I just like, let me give it back to them. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty amazing uh, change of, of change of heart and a change of thought. And uh, we need to be like his disciples, uh, you know, like look at Christ, think about what he's saying and doing, and respond in a Christ-like way to people. Now, this is so easy to say and so difficult to do in practice. Because the people that nobody else wants to hang out with, there's some reason why nobody else wants to hang out with them. You know, they're doing something, living away or saying things that nobody else likes. But if that's the person that Christ is working with, you and I will be uh, highly uh, rewarded, not from, you know, some sort of external financial thing, but from a life satisfaction when we partner with people that God is working with it's hugely rewarding because we are going to be part of and witnessing transformation. We will see growth in people uh, that is just astonishing. Uh, and it doesn't matter who you're starting with. You know, to see somebody that's got opiate addiction be set free 
or somebody that's got, you know, marriage problems, overcome them, or somebody that's dealing with, you know, financial issues that they break free of, or somebody that's battling to pass exams, they finally pass them. If you're part of that equation, because Christ is part of that equation, and you help people that are in those predicaments, it's extremely rewarding. And believe me, the person that you're working with will be extremely grateful and thankful uh, to your participation uh, in that in what, what God is doing. So our job, uh, the first sort of urgent message, is to always be looking at the heart and to resist as much as we can uh, looking at the externals, the way people dress, you know, whatever else we, we look at and we think is important. Christ is interested in us looking at the heart. So the second uh, uh, urgent message that Christ wants to tell us uh, is as he's walking along to Jerusalem in verse 19. Uh, let me just get my eye on it. It's this parable of the ten servants. Now, let me just, uh, let me just uh, set up this parable the way it's written. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, okay, there's a sense here he's nearing Jerusalem, and there's a sense of urgency. Uh, he told him a story. And uh, the story that Jesus tells, he tells us why he's telling the story, which is helpful because we don't always know the reason. And he says, he tells him a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Now, if you here at the vineyard, you will know we always pause and we always stop and we always comment on the kingdom of God because it's a mysterious phrase and it unlocks a whole lot of uh, helpful truth, and it sounds sometimes contradictory. And here would be a classic-sounding uh, contradictory statement because uh, Jesus is saying, wait a bit, the kingdom of God is not going to start right away. And just last week, we were looking at the kingdom of God is here, and it's near, and it's happening because Jesus is right with us. And now he's saying, it's not going to happen straight away. Uh, what is happening, and what's... a, a applicable here before we get into this, is there's people even today which are saying, look, forget about taking care of the environment. Forget about, you know, whatever. The earth is about to end up. Jesus coming, you know, we had that close to the end times. It was so close. I mean, we've got people have got calendars and thoughts and it's like, you know, Christ is about to come back and, and just like forget about everything because Really, if you worry about the environment or you worry about politics or you worry about anything, it's just like rearranging the chairs and the Titanic. This thing's going down, and who cares? Jesus is going to restore and renew the earth, and that's all we should be focusing on. Believe me, there's plenty of people that think that way. And Jesus is saying, I just want to correct that thought here for a moment. I, I, I really am concerned about the environment and you know, taking care of people around us. And, and yes, I might be coming very soon, but the kingdom of God is still worth investing in. And when you invest, it takes time. Investment doesn't happen overnight. And there, this parable unfolds. And the big aha of this parable is Jesus tells a story about a king that's going to go away and he leaves some money with his followers and he says, okay, uh, you know, invest this money. And then he comes back later on. And uh, many of you are very familiar with the story, so I'll just tell it. And he says to, when he comes back, how did you do with my money? And, and the guy that you gave a lot of money to invested it and he made like a big return. And Jesus says, well done, that's great. And the next guy he gave like half the amount of money to and he invested it and 
did great. And Jesus says, that's great. And then the third one in the story, he doesn't do anything. He just like buries it in the sand. And, he, and it's like he just he was listening to our you know, news the commercials that we had. Just don't lose the money. You know that commercial? Just don't lose the money. Do anything. Just don't lose the money. Just don't lose the money. And so, you know, this guy was before his time and he just dug it in the hole in the ground and he just didn't lose the money. And Jesus just wasn't pleased. He said, you know, you bad servant. You didn't invest. The point is this. Playing it safe is risky. Playing it safe is risky. Uh, yeah, you can get your financial advice from whoever you like, but playing it safe is risky. When it comes to spiritual things, uh, it, like this is really, really urgent for us because as believers, we get used to just like the, the normal every week, week in, week out, and we just get in a routine and we do our religious thing and we just play it safe. And God is saying to us, playing it safe is risky. God wants us always to be pressing into the things that he's doing. And the things that he's doing will always make us feel uncomfortable. It's always risky and exciting and rewarding, but it's always risky when we press in to the things that Christ is doing. And so what we need to do is think about what is it that Christ is doing and who is it that he's doing it around us and will we be willing to take the risk that Christ wants us to take the risk for. And back to the previous uh, Zacchaeus story, sometimes the riskiness is that God wants you to associate with people that nobody else wants to associate with. And so you have to take a risk. Uh, you are going to be... Yeah, you are doing that, Brian. You do a good job of that, actually. But God wants you to risk and take a chance in loving and believing in people that He's working with and to recognize their hearts and to risk and do it. And again, mission trips uh, force us uh, to see that or to do that. But playing it safe is risky. Playing it safe is risky. Uh, you know, in the business world at the moment, it seems like uh, sort of the new pop guy, the new hit guy, the new sort of icon that everybody like really thinks is great is uh, Elon uh, Musk. And uh, you may or may not know uh, or have heard of some of these uh, companies that he's uh, invented and made happen. Uh, how about um, how about Solar City? Uh, some of you have got Solar City panels, uh, electric panels. How about uh, Tesla, uh, the car. Anybody want to buy me a car? I'll have a Tesla. Just put out. I could see myself one of those. I like that. Electric, uh, environmentally friendly. I, I would like that. I, I don't know what it looked like as a passive driving a Tesla, but I'm in it. Um, uh, how about SpaceX? Uh, there's another uh, uh, big company. And what about this new concept of uh, Hyperloop, you know? Rapid transportation, let's go to DC in like five minutes. Cool stuff. Extremely risky. I mean, he's, he's, he's worth an absolute fortune. Uh, he's worth uh, $14 billion. He's the 80th richest man in the world. But this is all you really need to know about him. He was born in South Africa. If you get that part of you, that's all you need to know. <laughs> Amanda, where are you? There, stand up, Amanda. 
in the same town as Amanda. Like they're probably in this, they're probably in the same school. I don't know. You know, you can you can press him for a loan later on, Amanda. This is just it's great. But playing it safe is risky. Like I mean, if this guy, you know, I mean, from an investment standpoint, my gosh, you talk about some of the craziest thoughts and investments that have worked out. Uh, He's done it. So great. Uh, but on a you know much more uh, uh, sort of to the heart, you guys have not always played it safe. You guys have risked, and as a church, you know we see this again and again. It, sometimes it seems like small things, like supporting us financially on the missions trips, like supporting the church. But again and again, you know this church has been amazingly willing to risk for God. Uh, you know, not the word risky is risky for a reason. It means it doesn't always work out. You know, it, it wouldn't be risky if the outcome was like guaranteed. And you know, you guys have allowed me and this church to take a lot of risk on a lot of things. And we failed, you know, like again and again and again. And, and every time we failed, we was like, oh, geez, I, you know, what a learner. And, and yet we get up and we try again and we risk again. And uh, it's part of, I think, what Jesus would say I'm pleased about. It's because we're willing to take a risk and we're willing to try things and we're willing to do things that, you know, if you just look at the cost of these things, you'd say, how, you know, is it really? Why are we going to pour out money into this thing? You know, why are we going to support, you know, this organization? Or why are we going to just give away a whole bunch of, you know, free things to people in town randomly. Why we get, and you know, as a church, uh, I'll, I'll repeatedly tell about things that we have done as a church where we want to just bless the town or bless institutions in the town or or help people or or help people financially or and again and again we just like take a chance we just risk and uh, you know you've been a, a wonderful uh, church been willing to risk and then you know. Every now and then we, we strike it lucky and we're like, wait, this paid off. Uh, and so we'll keep uh, trying to risk even though, you know, as you get older, you tend to want to risk less. And when you're a millennial, it's, you've got life ahead of you. So it's like everything's great. and You don't mind risking. And that's why we desperately need millennial folks because they're willing to go and take a chance and, uh, and do things which are uh, exciting. And so that's what we do. Anyway, playing it safe is risky, and uh, obviously, if you're going to risk, it's going to involve your money, it's going to involve your skills, it's going to involve your time, uh, it's going to involve, like, you know, doing things that you don't normally uh, feel comfortable doing. Even the simple thing like joining a group in this church. I mean, when you've never been part of a group, it's highly risky. I mean, it's like, what do these weird people do? And they get together and they're going to like do what? They're going to pray and talk? I don't want to talk. I like, in the, you want to like some action? It's like, what? I just feel very uncomfortable. Like, I'm going to go to somebody's home and we're going to eat together. It's like, what? And yet then you risk it. And, you know, after a while, it's like, wait, I actually like these people. I would never have gotten together with these people. This is really fun. It's, it's stimulating. God is doing something. Even if it's a small risk, when we're doing God's thing, uh, he wants us to risk. All right. The third urgent lesson we see here is what is so well known as the Jesus' triumphant entry. And he says this in verse 28. After telling the story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead of them. 
And uh, here's the point that I want us to get uh, from this story. Uh, Jesus is uh, preparing uh, both the Last Supper and he's asking for a donkey to uh, be brought towards him because he wants to fulfill one part of what people are recognizing in, in him, that he is the Messiah, that he is the king, and that he is going to rule, and he, he does deserve to be worshipped. And so he's going to be asking for, you know, not a big flashy, you know, fancy horse that's all decked out like every other king would do. He's asking for, you know, a donkey, you know, something that's like so strange so uh, humbling. But what he does is he does something which is, again, uh, kind of fun and kind of supernatural. But look at the risk part here for the disciples. Jesus says this, Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you are untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. Okay, here's the classic challenge that you and I will always find when we follow Jesus. Uh, the classic challenge is this. You would say to Jesus, I need more information. How is that guy going to know who I am when I come and untie the colt? He's going to like say I'm stealing his colt. He's going to think I'm a madman. He's going to like, Jesus says, Nothing more. Just, I've told you what to do. It's pretty simple. My instructions aren't complicated. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. Go there, untie the colt, and when the guy asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it. I mean, this is not complicated. And so indeed, what happens? Uh, these disciples really do well. They don't question the Lord. They don't get into big dialogue. They've been around uh, with the Lord long enough. Now they think, this is weird. Uh, you know, how's this going to end up? And they end up having the best day of their lives. I mean, this is just the most exciting thing. And so somehow in their faith, they follow. And so they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And guess what? They did the perfect thing. The disciples didn't add anything to what Jesus told them to add. They didn't say anything less than what Jesus told them to say. They just said back to the owner, the Lord needs it. Man, that was like a brilliant like, lesson for you and for I. Okay, Jesus says, when they ask you, just tell them the Lord needs it. And what they did was, when they were asked, they said, the Lord needs it. They didn't add on, they didn't try and explain, they didn't run away, they didn't hide, they weren't in bed. They're just like, the Lord needs it. And it worked out. That's the, book. That's the best part. That's the best part. Now, of course, uh, jumping down to uh, what happened here, I say, as he rode along, the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began shouting and singing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. And then blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And then, of course, we get the religious people, the people that don't like God, the people that always got questions, the people that are always poking, you know, 
the church and poking people that believe is like you're crazy. Some of the Pharisees along the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. But Jesus replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Now, the third urgent point that Jesus wants to teach us is it's always the right season to worship Jesus. It's always the right season to worship Jesus. Look, when we have a celebration, when we have a wedding, a Christian wedding, you worship Jesus and you get really excited about that. Hopefully it's a great song and it's a song about love and it's, you know. But if you go to a funeral, it's also the right time to worship Jesus. You just, you know, choose a different song. You choose the right song for the occasion. It's always the season to worship Jesus. When things are going well in your life, it's a good time to worship Jesus. Don't forget to worship the Lord in good times. When things are going badly in your life, it's a great time to worship Jesus. It's counterintuitive, but it's a step of faith. It's something that happens in us that when we start worshiping the Lord, good things happen. We don't have to understand it. We don't have to understand the mechanics. This is part of the faith walk. The disciples simply obeyed, get the cult, bring the cult, answer the cult. The crowd started worshiping Jesus. Everybody was going crazy. Don't do that. Jesus said, it's always appropriate to worship me, to obey me, to worship me. Whether you feel like worshiping God, when you don't feel like worshiping God. When things are great in your life, when things are terrible in your life, worship the Lord. Find the right song that is appropriate for the moment, the right lyrics, the right words, but worship the Lord. Your highs will be high and your lows won't be as low. Worshiping the Lord is a great lesson and it's an urgent lesson uh, for all of us. And we need to screen that in our day-to-day -day life now. It's like, what's happening in our lives? Is this the right season? Are we worshiping the Lord? It's always the right season and we just need to find the right uh, occurrence to do it. Now, in conclusion, the fourth urgent lesson that uh, the Lord wants us to make. And uh, I'll just say it before I read it. The message is this. Find peace through the Prince of Peace. Find your peace in Jesus. Verse 41. As they came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, Jesus began to weep. He says this, and this is like really a scary uh, verse. He says, How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. You know, Jesus does this. He did it then. Uh, in, the, in that time, he had been demonstrating a supernatural act to God. He had been displaying the love that, he, that God has for people. He had done a lot of teaching, and he was explaining it first to the Jews, and uh, secondly to the Samaritans, and you know, people like Zacchaeus. And, and people were like, you know, had all the opportunity to accept Christ. But Jesus realized as he got close to Jerusalem, his heart was broken, he started weeping because he realized that now the time is up. And people that haven't received him, haven't accepted him, are not going to have the opportunity anymore. And there is a similar uh, urgency in our own lives because there are times when Christ is revealing himself to us. We recognize his love. 
We recognize that he's close to us and that he's for us. And uh, at those times, Christ is saying it's an invitation uh, to, to receive him. And if we say to Christ, no, you know, I'm too young. I'll, I'll accept you just before I die. You know, I want to live the good life. Uh, I want to party and do all that first. And, and then really when I enjoy my life and then when I've got nothing left, that, yeah, then maybe I'll, I'll receive you. Uh, and Christ is saying, no, you, you, you're going to miss out on the good life. Uh, and you need to receive me now. You don't know if you're going to die tomorrow. And in a similar way, Christ is saying to us today, with all our troubles, with all our concerns, will we embrace him? Will we receive him? Whether we are a believer or a non-believer, but particularly to non-believers, to those that are like exploring. And if that's you today, I'm, I'm telling you with all um, urgency, if Christ is connecting with you, if there's a sense of, I think you're real, the right approach would be to say, God, I just, I want to receive you. I can't figure it all out. I can't figure you all out. But I want to re experience your love, firstly, because that's what Christ will demonstrate to you. He will show you that he loves you. And you say, God, I, I, I need to know your love. I need to experience your love. I need to receive your love. And that's what Christ is asking before it's too late. You don't know that next week or the week after or the week after that, Christ will be revealing himself to you. Christ does something. He shows up and he draws us towards him. But he doesn't do it all the time. It seems like the times in our lives where this opportunity is great for us, where we can receive him and we, we connect with the Lord. And so if that's you today, I, I just encourage you, just invite Christ in. Even if you've got lots of questions, that's fine. The question that you should be asking God is just reveal your love to me. Show me how you love me. Show me that you're real. Show me that I can trust you. Because God loves to do that. On the other hand, if you've been a follower for a long time, uh, you might want to be saying to, to God, look, I've got all these concerns in my life. I'm worried about all these things. But I want to receive you. I want you to restore your love for me. I want you to show your love to me again. And uh, Christ is saying there's a sense of urgency as we move into this Easter period. There's a sense that he wants us to draw near to him and to invite him in and to put away the busyness of the world and all the things that we get involved in and to make time for him and to say, Christ, what are you doing in my life and what are you doing in the hearts of those around me and how do you want me to respond? Now's the season. This is the season to hear God's voice. So Lord Jesus, I just lift up your time and I lift up your people. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, we've seen so many wonderful people in this uh, church uh, give their hearts to you, serve you, uh, and love you as best as they know how. And Lord, I just thank you for the way that you've lifted so many people out of uh, you know, corners where they didn't know how to get out of, or life circumstances that were so trying and depressing that you lifted them up. And Lord, I just thank you for uh, your people, that you love them. And Lord, there's a sense of urgency in us, Lord, to follow you, to obey you, and to walk this life of faith that you have for us. So Lord, I just pray your blessing on your people. Lord, I pray each person here today would be able to leave here connected to you, experiencing your love that you have for them, that they could experience you personally in this week and see the things that you're doing in them and around them. I lift them up to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.